Welcome to another episode of Fight the Burnout, where we take and we help and we give you tools, strategies, and tips to overcome burnout by interviewing other people, as well as myself giving you tools and strategies uh, that I've learned over the years and help coach people with. Uh, today, we have a special guest, uh, Katie Ringling, uh, Ringley, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I'm sure we'll all get told here in a second, uh, but she is a cognitive therapist. Uh, she does a lot of stuff with law enforcement. A lot of working through traumas. So we will talk about that today. Before we get started, I always like to say, take one thing away from today. Don't try and get all of it and implement all of it. You'll overwhelm yourself. Just take one thing away, go implement it, take action on it. Because it's not the fact that we don't have enough information these days. It's that we're not taking action on the information we have. So get out there, get it done. Uh, and then you can come back and grab other ones. Um, but just take one thing away from today and run with it. Um, so without further ado, uh, Katie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, and tell me if I've pronounced and I botched your last name or not, uh, because you know, no, we're human. Uh, and yeah, tell us about yourself, tell us your background, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate being here. It's uh, great to meet up with you again, virtually got to love technology that way. Uh, so my name's Katie Wrigley. You were close. Uh, and I'm a transformational coach and I specialize in pain and trauma. So I actually use this crazy looking ball here, the Cogno Movement Ball. Um, so I'm more practitioner. I'm actually not a certified therapist, just to be clear, but you are right there. This is kind of a form of cognitive therapy. Um, so that's absolutely correct. I just want to make that distinguish that I'm not a licensed therapist, but I am a certified level two practitioner. This ball is the main thing. We'll get into that in a little bit as far as how this helps people, because the, the main question is, how the hell is this going to do anything to help me? It's a psychedelic looking soccer ball. It's amazing what this thing can pull out of the mind and the body. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about how you got into doing what you're doing. So I actually had a long standing history of running for myself and I had to be disabled. And so I started to pay attention to what my body was telling me. And from, and that was about 2018, so about five years ago. And then two years after that, like I got really big on my wellness kick. I like did my type A personality all into it and burned myself out on it, totally slacked off and pain started to come back. Shocker, right? Uh, so like a year after I was disabled, I was climbing 11,000 foot mountains in Colorado. A year after that, I sometimes felt like I was dragging my left leg behind me because I had such bad nerve pain. So someone had actually recommended doing this with Bill McKenna, the founder. And I was like, all right, because I was looking at a neurosurgery consult at that point. So I'm like, hmm, neurosurgery, wacky looking ball. Let's give the wacky looking ball a shot and see what happens. And lo and behold, it got rid of my back pain. And that doesn't mean that it was like poof, gone, and it stayed gone. There was a practice to be able to train my subconscious to come out of the pain and to shift perspective on that. But today, five years later, I'm pain-free. I've been pain-free for quite a while. And this has been a huge piece of that. So a lot of how I shifted out of the pain and a lot of the source of the pain was actually underlying trauma that I hadn't healed out of my body yet. So being able to resolve that, being able to heal that helped me be able to move my life forward to what I feel is a really fulfilling life today. And it was not in 2018. Like that was on the heels of what I call when I blew up my life twice. It was like a double mushroom cloud. Sounds like around, like, I was about a year, be, uh, about a year before you, I blew up my life and just completely shut everything down. Didn't know what I was doing. And then I went down the neuro linguistic programming type side of stuff. Uh, 
but they're all very similar, which I'm sure we'll get into today. So uh, tell us a little bit about, I don't know, how it works, because that's what I want. I think everybody, I mean, I know our audience is mostly law enforcement. I know you're working a lot with law enforcement now. And the first thing that comes into my head back when I was law enforcement, I'm like, yeah, I've got pain. You know, my back hurts. It's my vest's fault. You know, it's, it's all these, uh, my hip hurts. Like even still to this day, I still have something. And I know it has to do with trauma yeah. and stuff and that anyways. But uh, I know as a cop, it was like, uh, if you had told me about this stuff back when I was a cop, I would have laughed you out of the room. So tell us a little bit about it and why it's so important and how you help the cops actually realize, hey, wait a second. No, this isn't just woo-woo stuff. It actually works. Yeah. So there's there's actually been a bigger buy-in as of late. I've been working with more officers and it's been amazing what's come out of that. So just to quickly go back and say the way that this works just in a nutshell. So the ball itself, this is purposely designed. This wasn't someone who was tripping balls. It was just having a funky day and just decided to do it. Kind of looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it does. But the left side of the brain lights up by these complex geometric shapes and the bright colors or chakras for those who are more into the energetic side. These are all the chakras in the body. The right side of the brain can see and feel an object. It can note a 3D object in time and space. So the right side gets light up. We utilize a lot of cross-body movements. Cross-body movements are one of the ways that we actually learn. So we go from sitting to crawling to walking. And what we found with kids that skip that crawling stage, that cross-body stage, they actually wind up having learning disabilities. So right out of the gate. And the big thing that's different, we're not talking to the logical mind. The logical mind is going to bullshit us. Hopefully I can swear on your show. I figured oh, yes. you, def you, you, def you definitely can. We're all you know, ex-cops, things like that. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Yep. The logical brain definitely bullshits us all the time. Yes. So <laughs> and it's only like the conscious mind is only running 5% of the show. And the problem with that is that we tend to think that this is everything. Whatever our thoughts are, they're real. They're it. They're it. And they are real, but they may not be led by rational sub-thoughts, subconscious, unconscious thoughts. All of that, 95%. That's stored in the body, comes out in the form of physical pain, comes out in the form of a hyperactive nervous system or an overactive nervous system. These are the things that tell you that there's something that you haven't dealt with yet. And so what this ball does, we start doing these cross-body movements and we're talking to the neurology. So we're not talking to the logical mind again. We're talking to the neurology. We're talking to the body. So we're pulling up the sensation. You don't even have to admit you feel anything. You pull up the sensation in the body. So if you're stressed, stress often feels heavy on the shoulders or feels like a burden, or maybe your back's hurting because you're stressed. All you have to do is focus on that sensation. You're going to be moving the ball back and forth. We go low to high to start to shift the energy up. The eye movements are going to be doing something as well. I'm sure you know some of that from NLP too. Yeah, I can't, I can't stop looking at the ball. <laughs> right, because it's meant to do that. It's meant to grab your attention. So we start moving it back and forth like this. We're actually saying the colors. And that's important too, because we're actually activating all three ways we learn, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic at the same time. So what this means is, as we know from neuroplasticity and from anytime we learn something new, we get a new neural pathway. The default one tends to be the path of least resistance. We're going to go back there again. But what's cool about this, as we're learning this, as we're changing this, as we're creating new neural pathways, because we activate all three ways we learn, the body automatically reorganizes itself under the new neural pathway to a point where sometimes you don't even realize that you had a problem. Like I've had sessions with people, they've written down a problem and they're like, I know I wrote that down, but I don't even remember thinking it. 
because they've gotten it out of the body. So once we do the low to high, as we call it with the cross body, then we do what we call the infinity. And this is very similar to EMDR. And I'm not an EMDR therapist, so I, I can't speak to it, but I've worked with people who've done EMDR. And so what I've told and been told anecdotally is this is like EMDR and crack. So basically what we're doing is we're allowing all of the file systems in the brain to take a look at this feeling in the physical body, whatever it is, stress, burnout, whatever that may be, and allowing all the place cells in the brain that are storing all these memories that you probably don't even remember at all. They're allowing them to get a vote, to take a look at this and see what else they know about this. So one of the interesting things that happens, you know, and this has happened several times with law enforcement is we'll have the eyes in a certain position, usually where memories are stored and a case that they thought was long forgotten suddenly comes up. And they're like, wow, I haven't thought about this in years. And like, I, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, like, it, and it's not just from law enforcement, but from everybody, this thing goes really, really deep into the body. And so there's a lot of backtracking we use. There's a lot of skills we use as practitioners to help hold that person in there. And some of the ways that it works. So one, I'm completely neutral when I'm working with someone. If I'm in the story with them, I'm not helpful. It's the same thing as a coach, right? We can't be in the story or we're in the story. We're, we're being their friend. We're not being their coach. We aren't holding that space to allow them to come out of the story and see how true or false that story may be. You're allowing them to feel whatever they need to feel. They can say as little or as much as they want to, but they're not going to hurt me because chances are like the last two sessions, I don't remember what people told me because when you're so present, I'm sure you see this too, Chris, when you're so present, you literally, it's in one ear and out the other because you're just focused on the other person. You're just focused on that session, being able to move it forward. So you don't even remember what's in there. You're and very ground, you're very grounded. It just comes through you and straight back out. Right. Right. And like, you know, and so I recently actually worked with a couple officers that had to deal with a really gnarly and random double homicide, which is really rare for this area of the country. And it had a lot of tragedy to it as well. So it really affected the whole precinct and in very, very different ways. And I heard about the story. And so I actually, to prepare for that, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to get out my own feelings about this first and got myself completely neutral but that allows me to sit there and hold that space, not get into the story whatsoever, be able to have it go in, out, ground, whatever, which way you're saying, but it's it's in and out. It's not yeah. sticking in me. It's not hurting me. So that's one of the things that's a benefit to this is one, you don't have to say anything you don't want to say. At the same side, you can say anything you want to say. You're not going to shock me. You're not going to scare me and you're not going to hurt me. And in the event that I do remember it, the same way I delete it for you, I delete it for me. Yeah. So- in minutes, it's gone in the event that it does actually sink in somehow, which doesn't really happen. Like when I first started to practice, like I had a hard time separating from the story, but in several recent months and since I've been doing this more and more, I'm not in the story. I hear people shit all the time and it's in and out. It's in yeah. and out. I guess that also that also because of the way that it's because of the way that it's doing like with therapists and psychologists, the biggest thing that I hear from, you know, ex-colleagues or for law enforcement that I talk to and coaches, all the therapists and the and the psychologists don't get me because they're not part of me. Yeah. I like I've had literally I've had cops go, I've shocked the therapist and probably caused more trauma to them because of my stories. 
whereas this doesn't actually doesn't actually do any of that because like, nope, you're not, not you're not having to be because you're disconnected like you said um so when it comes to burnout let's talk about you for a second and we'll come back to this uh yeah when it comes to burnout tell us a little bit about your story with burnout i know you you before we were record before we started recording that you're saying you've had a recent kind of bout of it in a way tell us a little bit yep. about that and what you learned from it yeah so i actually want to add one last thing about yeah, cognitive movement itself like it's not talk therapy at all like people can come in and talk if they want to very few people want to but that's a big difference talk therapy is going to bring you back into the trauma and re-traumatize you that's that's not what we're doing there so burnout so that's that was one of my old default modes. So I got into it in corporate. I was in a male dominated career. I had to keep up with the guys. Like it was 99% men. When I got into it, I was often the only female engineers in cybersecurity. And so I got into a series of burnout there and burnout in corporate is very different than the burnout I experienced recently, but there's a lot of components that are the same. And I'm sure that's not going to be surprising to you at all. Yeah. So recently I was doing a summit and audience build, and I did this a couple months ago and I, it just kicked into my type A mode. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't doing all the things that helped me stay grounded, that helped me have fuel my body. I wasn't eating healthy. I wasn't moving enough. I wasn't meditating. I was just going, 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 going. And then during the summit, like, I think I wound up going like three weeks straight without a day off. And so by the time it wrapped, like I was brain dead and it almost felt like my brain was swollen. I was so fucking tired. Like I just, and, but I couldn't sleep at the same time. I kept waking up because I'd actually like, I had allowed the summit and I'm kind of like shake my head at myself with all the knowledge I have. I didn't use the tools available to me, which is common, right? Like we get into these old pathways and your nervous system is like, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And it's hard, even with a high level of awareness to be like, no, the way to do this is this way over here. That's not going to exhaust you. That's not going to get you sick. That's not going to make you hurt. That's not going to make you burned out and tapped out. And so like creativity was gone. Like I, I couldn't think of anything. I was trying to create a training course one of the first it's one of the first things that disappear when you start to burn out is creativity yeah that side of the brain just goes no i'm just i'm gonna save energy over here i'm not gonna use it yep and then it goes to the left side so the right side is the creative side the left side is the stress side so the left side of the brain gets really really active and then it starts looking for what you look for you're gonna find so then it finds all these other things that you should stress about like something that happened five years ago that isn't relevant today your mind is going to get locked around that you're going to start worrying about things that don't normally bother you that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things because it's easier to worry about those than it is to deal with yourself and you're going to continue to avoid that it gets in this big slippery slope and the next thing you know you're burned out and this was probably one of the worst cases of burnout i had and i reversed it one of the quickest ways that I had ever reversed it too. So I have my aura ring that measures my biometrics. And so my normal resting pulse is about 54 to 57 and it went up to 67. Like, so it was notably much, much higher. And part of that is, you know, like I dealt with the trauma. I started dealing with the trauma and all the things that were under it from childhood about five years ago, I ignored it for 40 years. And so even though this is great, I, creating new neural pathways. And there's so much evidence, like 
I'm able to sleep at night without any, like, without getting high. Cause I had to use cannabis all the time to sleep for like 30 years. I did it and I'm not yeah. using cannabis anymore to sleep. And there's a lot of things that have moved in the right direction. I actually have the ability to sit still now. These things weren't in there. And I, so I took a week off. I took a nine day digital purge, did a retreat with actually with psychedelic medicine, go into that another time <laughs> and really connected. So I was walking around barefoot for a week. I had no way to talk to anybody. It was a silent retreat. So I had got to break the, the vow of silence. Like once I was there for nine days. And in that time, my resting pulse went back down to 54. I came out of it with a new meditation retreat. I'm now like a huge fan of L of Hal Elrod and the miracle mornings and spending that time just being and focusing. And these are some of the things, you know, I'm sure you teach a lot of this too, to help you really get out of that burnout state. But like, um, I was also, I was irritable at everybody. Everybody was pissing me off. Like someone got my way in traffic. I'm like swearing up a storm. Like I had no patience. I had no tolerance. I didn't even want to be around myself going into it. It's like, I'd cry at the drop of a hat. And like, I wouldn't even know why I was crying. Like I would like hit my toe on something and just start bawling. I'm just like, okay, I'm a little out of sorts right now. I need to slow my roll. And that will happen again and again, unless I stay in this routine where I am consciously, specifically taking time out to just be and focus Mm -hmm. on me. That's a, I love that you finished on that because it's so important before we jump into that. It's, I want to remind viewers that going through burnout doesn't mean that you failed. It means that you need to learn from it and go, okay, cool. What do I need to do next? How do I not get here again? And that's the, that's the key that I want everybody to remember is, you know, I've been through bouts. I've been through my big dark burnout. I've also hit it again after, you know, when, when we had COVID stuff going on, it nailed me again because it was a different thing that triggered it. And I hadn't dealt with that, you know, that side of stuff, the side of freedoms and what that means and, and how to actually, you know, incorporate that in, even when things are out of my control is some of that letting go of some control side of stuff. And we have, especially as cops, you know, we, I get you guys, we like to be in control, but I'll tell you this right now, we actually have less control than a civilian does, but we want to hold on to all this control. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really recognizing that, you know, it's okay. As long as we learn from it, the biggest thing that most cops don't want to go through, or most people don't want to go through is any kind of failure. Well, failure is only a failure. If you don't, if you don't learn from it, you know, I just spent three months in the U S doing lots of stuff. I could, you know, and wanted contracts with departments and all these different things and didn't get any of it, but I could sit there and go, Oh, I failed at it and like hollow in the corner and cry myself to sleep. Or I can go, okay, cool. What I learned from it. Let's keep moving. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, then we keep, we keep evolving. Now you touched on a, you touched on a point at the end there, which because I rambled, my brain lost it. Um, what was it? What did you say at the very being. end? Being. being. Yeah, just being. How do you make sure that you just be even when you get really busy? Because I know as cops, the biggest thing that they say is I don't have the time, especially when they when kids and family get in. Yeah. It's like oh, all these different I'm bouncing all over this and I have my ways that I that I believe it and teach it. But I always like to, you know, know if somebody says like I just am being, I'm present, 
what is your tips and tricks so that somebody can take that away and start implementing those or, you know, reflect on them? Yeah. So one of the things, if you're telling yourself, you're not having any time, I want you to look at your phone. I want you to look at what your screen time is per day. And if it's over an hour, you fucking have time. <laughs> Just say that's an hour you can get back. Yeah. Like, I love breaking. I love literally time. breaking down. I love breaking down with people like time. Okay. You're at work this, you travel this, you sleep, you know, seven, eight hours. Let's go eight hours. Okay, cool. Where's all the rest of the time going? Oh, kids, I got sports games. Okay. How many hours do you have? And you break it down and they always end up having at least an extra like 10, like 15, 20, 30 hours. Some people have like 80, you know, 60 hours of extra yeah. time. And I'm like, there's your time. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, whatever time you're spending on Facebook, maybe give up 10 minutes of it. And like, that's why I like the miracle morning. Like it's got like this little like coaching thing built into it. And that's why coaching works is when you don't feel like getting out of bed, you have a reason to. So like, he's got a whole book around it, but I really just like just started, decided to try to do this and be like, all right, let's, what changes in my days when I do this? And even if I don't do like the whole miracle morning, I'm still going to do one part of it. Like this morning, like I, I honestly, I didn't feel like doing all of it, but so he has these savers. One of them is reading. I sat and I read for 10 minutes Well, I sat there and I drank my matcha and I was eating my breakfast and I sat there and read and my phone wasn't on. And I gave myself that time before I got into the day. And yesterday I did all of them. And when I do all of them, what I love about it is like by the time 7am rolls around. So I actually... Like I, I tend to still wake up a little bit in the middle of the night sometimes. And like, I started to wake up earlier than my alarm and it was pissing me off. And so I'm like, okay, instead of getting pissed, why don't I just get out of bed and go do something productive instead of fighting it and cursing myself for being awake, like be like, okay, it's close enough to my alarm. Let's get up. And then, so now by the time 6.30 or 7 a.m. rolls around, I've already done all these things for myself. So my mood's much better. I've got my body moving. I feel like I'm actually productive. I thought about things that I want to do. I'm looking forward to the day. I've given my body rest. I've given my body that time to just be, which is really important and also very difficult to do when your nervous system is on fire. That can be one of the hardest things in the world. You don't have to just sit in silence. You can walk and be, just don't be plugged into anything unless it's an active meditation but you want to spend that time in there because as you do that, you're going to teach your nervous system that it's okay to be calm. And you're going to be opening those creative centers, which are going to allow you to be more productive, which are actually going to counter the burnout symptoms because you're going to be in this mode and you're building rest into your schedule automatically, which is key to everybody's success. Yeah. And I want to also reiterate on that. If it can counteract it, it can prevent it. Yes. Yes. Very true. Very true. I'm all about preventing. That's what I teach is how do we prevent somebody from hitting burnout, from hitting that rock bottom? And it's actually learning from the things that counteract it. If it's something that mm -hmm. will fix something, it's something that if you implement it in before you actually have it, you're not going to get it. Yep. Most people Very wait till they point. hit the rock bottom and then they go, Oh, where's the ambulance? Oh, there it is. Okay, cool. Let's go grab yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And we, <laughs> as humans, we tend to do that. It works until it doesn't, but you don't actually have to get to that point. Like, especially if you're early in your career and you're hearing this, start to do this now. You are going to hit your career goals so much faster and so much easier. Like all the things that you desire in your career, in your life, if you start to implement these self care routines, and like, they have a way to do it in 10 minutes. Everybody has 10 minutes a day. 
especially if you spend any time on Facebook, you have 10 minutes. I promise you. I don't care how many kids you have. I don't care what your day holds. My days are really, really full and I'm still taking time out to do this. And I feel so much better. It's it's funny. Everybody has time for the things that they want time for. Yep. Repeat that for the listeners and viewers. Everybody has time for the things they want time for. Yep. I want time for the gym every single day. So I make sure that I go. Even if it's stupidly late at night because I've been an idiot and I haven't gone all day. Even if it's just going for a run or a walk. I mean, I can hit... I, I'm not a fan of... I don't love running, but I do it because it actually... It digs into my head faster than almost anything can. And mm-hmm. a 20-minute run, I can dig deeper than my coach can get me in an hour if I allow nice. myself to. So yeah. that's why I run. But I can go for a 10-minute run and feel like I'm on fire. I can also go to the gym for an hour and I feel like I'm stupidly on fire. So it's making, <laughs> it's making, it's, it's making time for the things that you want to make time for. So if you want to make time for preventing yourself from hitting rock bottom, preventing yourself from getting angry, preventing yourself from having that short fuse, prevent yourself from as law enforcement doing that stupid thing that we all know that people do. Now, I watch all these use of force things that are actually wrong, like the ones that the media aren't just making crazy. And I go, oh, yeah, like, you know, we take I won't say his name, but you take the George Floyd case. I watched that guy. And the first thing that popped in my head is he's burned out. You look into his yeah. eyes and it's empty. Yeah. And I know somebody who trained him as an FTO and he was already kind of on those roads before he even got to 12 years in or however many years he is. So it's actually, how do we prevent this so that you don't end up that person? How do we prevent this so you don't end up the cop that leaves? How do we prevent this so you don't end up the cop that retires and dies within three to five years? Yeah. Yeah. All really key points there. You know, and I want to add to that, you know, a lot of the things that lead to burnout and lead to that overactive nervous system is running from the traumas, you know, and I recently learned at a, a wellness and resilience conference, I went to for law enforcement and other first responders most officers experience 500 traumas in the course of their career. There, It is not set up to allow people to get that out of their body, to process it, to have that peer support. Like that is not a norm yet. And so all of those things that happen, like and when the ball is in a certain place, these are traumas that these officers have gone through. And they're like, well, I thought I dealt with that. Like, did you think you dealt with it? Well, I, I pushed it down. Okay, pushing it down is not the same as dealing with it. You guys are excellent at pushing things down. It's going to come up again. It That is just the way we work. Unless you deal with it and get it out, and the faster you deal with it, the faster you get it out, the easier it's going to be. And you can actually avoid having long-term post-traumatic stress by dealing with your shit as you go. So like one of the things I'm trying to do, I think you are too, is to like have the the badass cop persona be the one that is taking care of their shit that is yeah. taking care of themselves and dealing with it. And that is the cool part. Cause there's nothing more badass to me than someone who comes into my office and lays it all out and gets it out of their body. And then they sleep and they have a stress-free day at work and they start dreaming again and they're getting along with their wife and they're playing with their kids instead of yelling at them. That is the coolest thing in the world that is not the shit that happened with george floyd you look at that the cops you look at the tiktok you look at the tiktok cops or the the celebrated cops that are like oh you know this cop took sandwiches to the you know the the guys who don't have food and they did these things or you get the video of the cop playing soccer with the kids on the corner or in the park 
that's a cop that's actually dealing with his shit. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Being of service is a great way to help give back yeah. and to feel good about yourself. But and a cop that hasn't dealt with their traumas looks at that and goes, oh, they're wasting time. Oh, that, you know, makes all these reasons why they can't do that. Yep. Yeah, it's that simple. You know, and when we were talking about that, you know, when you want to do these things, if you find that there is resistance to taking care of yourself, there may likely be a trauma that's running in you that's creating some shame that's keeping you from wanting to do that. And let that be there and deal with whatever is there. Find a safe space, find Chris, me, someone, but figure out what is keeping you from wanting to take better care of yourself. Cause it's not this, Oh, I'm not safe unless I'm doing things all the time. Mm -mm, that's bullshit. That's what your nervous system's telling you. There is some reason that's deeper that is making you stop from taking care of yourself and look at whatever that reason is. Let yourself figure out what that is so you can release it and you can take care of yourself. So you can have a healthy career. You can continue to live well past your career and you can have a normal family life, a normal, regular life for the length of your career and beyond because you are dealing with whatever is bothering you. Yeah, it's so it's so true, you know, and I, while you were saying that, it popped in my head of so many cops go, oh, but it, it's the way I protect myself. Yeah, no, it's not. That's what you're telling yourself. <laughs> that's the logical brain that's trying. It's yeah. the fight or flight. You know, you're, yeah. you know, you said, you said you went to the wellness conference and they said an uh, officer will see 500 traumatic events in their, in their career. And I would actually call BS. I'd actually say it's exponentially more than that. Oh, that's just on the job. It's not life. It's yeah. not anything. No, no, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Even just on the so job, I would, say that it's, I would say it's exceptionally more because you think about it. One, it's a level of trauma. What are we classifying as trauma? Trauma for me, like I, my cousin's ex-military, two tours in the Middle East, got blown up, like his platoon got blown up and an ID. And, you know, at first when I thought I was going through my trauma, which it kind of came back up when I was in the US because people were like, oh, your stuff is, you know, not that it's not traumatic. It's not traumatic. I've been involved in shootings and had partners killed and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, and they're like, your partner is getting assaulted and it affecting you. Like, and I'm like, at first it hit me and I was like, and it hit me hard. And I went, oh, that's again, that passed me, my past coming back at me because I obviously haven't dealt with something around that. So I talked to my coach about it to start with. Uh, but two, it was like, no, that, that's, that's the, that's the rationalizing and making it so that, you know, I, uh, you know, I, you can't help me with my stuff. And it's like, well, trauma is trauma to each person, depending on who they are. And there's a yeah. study out of, I think it was New York, New York State uh, University did a study, 18 cops see 18 times as much trauma in their first 12 months as a civilian will in their entire life. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. You know, I take my career, for example, and I live here in New Zealand. And when I was policing, the crime wasn't that that bad, I say, in quotes. It's worse than it was now. It's worse now than it was then. But my, I wasn't even graduated. And I come back, came back halfway through college to do what we call station duty. Went to a guy who was dead for three weeks. Could smell from the road. I still can't smell. My wife still has to tell me to take the trash out because I can't smell. Yeah. Trauma response. It turned it off. Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize that yeah. until years after the place. My first 
four weeks into the job, went to a guy who jumped in front of a train. That same shift went to a guy who tried to beat us up because he he tried to evade arrest. And then when we grabbed him, he tried to, he tried to assault us. That's trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime your nervous system gets tweaked like that, that's a trauma. As a cop, you hop in your patrol car, your nervous system gets tweaked. Yeah. So I, I did my first ride along a couple weeks ago and it was a really crazy microcosm of stuff. Everything from a little fire to a domestic violence, to, um, a traffic stop that involved fentanyl to, and wasn't expecting it to involve that to, um, all, all kinds of just crazy stuff that was happening. And I was just observing, like every time we got in the car, I felt my body tense up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's one day. I'm not even the one that has to do anything. Like I sit in the car, or if he says it's safe to go with him, then I can go with him and and be there, you know, but it's like, you know, we're going to domestic violence. And we don't know where the person is. I'm like, I sit here. Like, I'm not trained to do this. I, I think I'll sit here. You guys don't have that option. But that like, it gave me a great glimpse because I'm like, okay, that's what I experienced in one day. Okay. Now multiply that by the training that teaches you what to do in these events. And your subconscious doesn't know the difference yeah. between real and fake. So you're actually going through that already as you're going through the academy. And then you extrapolate that into a career. Like I had a teeny tiny dose of what happens in the nervous system. And it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm even more dedicated to what I'm doing because I understand the importance of this now and being able to get that trauma out of your body. And And then you take the awareness of you see the bottom two to 10% of society all the time. So you start to, again, you said it earlier on, which I don't know if anybody picked up on it, what you focus on, you start to get. Yep. When you're dealing with that all the time, you start to see it all the time. You start to really focus on the time. It exponentially grows the the trauma responses, the yep. alertness, the you know all those different hitting the same parts of the brain through the roof. Yeah, and you're tracking that into your life too because that's all you're yeah. looking for. So the chances are you're going to bring a partner in that has a trauma bond with you. You're going to think you're all in love. You're going to have this hot, passionate shit going on, and then it's going to blow up. Because it's coming from that lower energy because both of you guys are looking for something to be wrong because that's what you're trained to do. That's what you get paid to do. So that's one of the things that's starting to shift out of that mode, starting to shift into the self-care, starting to look for reasons to live, starting to look for reasons for joy, for bliss, for whatever is going to light you up inside, allowing yourself to forgive yourself for whatever, because you're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes on the job. Sometimes it's going to be a really big mistake. Sometimes it's going to get to a really high level. You've got to be able to get past that. Forgive yourself. And like you were saying earlier, how do I do this differently so that it doesn't happen again? And that was my biggest question going into my nine days off is, okay, how do I never do this to myself again? Like, and since I was talking to plants, I got a whole lot of answers about that, but it was like, (laughs) that came out as a big thing is how do I not do this to myself again? And my brain still wanted to revert back to that. And just like, even just today, I finally calmed it down a little bit more because I'm like, no, we're, we're not, we're not going back there again. We're going to be holding steady. We're going to be going forward. We're going to trust that things are going to work out. You're not going to get all tweaked about this again and burn yourself out and be exhausted in a couple more months. That's just, no, that's just not an option. It's again, it's a shifting of that awareness and being super hypervigilant, shifting that hypervigilance, like as a cop, shifting it from, okay, I'm hypervigilant around my safety, around having cameras all around my house, knowing where all my weapons are, carrying my firearm everywhere I go. Yeah, 
all these different things to going, okay, cool. How do I become hypervigilant about calming myself down? Yeah. And even taking it one step further, and this is one of the things that like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to be able to launch, like I want to do like a longer two-year project with law enforcement in this ball is looking at like, step into the side out of reality for depending on your belief system out of reality, but going into Neo and the matrix, he's the perfect example of yeah. hyper performance. He is not hyper vigilant when he's screwing up as Mr. Anderson, he's hyper vigilant. He gets caught hyper performance yeah. though. That dude's he's, yeah. he's evading bullets. So what he, if he gets to a state, he gets to a stage where he's hyper aware, yes. hyper performing that he can stop bullets. Yes. Right. And so I'm not saying cops are going to be able to stop bullets. No, no but no, but you have, the, but you have that, but... you have, but you have that level of that level of calm, that level of you, right. it comes down to, it comes down to almost those things that you hear the military. And this is where like box breathing gets talked around a lot around because it calms everything down, calms the adrenals, calms the adrenaline, calms the heart rate. And they can anticipate what's going to happen already. Those guys are the ones that are actually hyper-performing, not hyper-vigilant. Right, exactly. And that's that when you have that calm nervous system, that is always going to be more resourceful. You are much more likely to get out of a situation alive when your calm nervous system stays calm. Like, absolutely. But even like some of what I've heard from like mental health liaisons and other people I work with within law enforcement, like even the word calm, a lot of officers are trained that if they come up on someone calm, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So even the use of that word, you have to be careful. Be triggering. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you you want to have a resourceful nervous system, which tends to be one where your vitals are not tweaking, where you can actually close your eyes and feel safe. You're fully aware of all of your surroundings, but you aren't getting tweaked up about it. You aren't constantly ready for something to be wrong. You're just, you're ready to be able to take the action instead. And that, that's not going to happen overnight. That's not going to be, that's not even going to happen in a month. You know, it's going to be over time, you teach your body and your subconscious to do that. Because part of the problem with the way we're wired is that, I mean, and first of all, it's called your nervous system. It's not called your calm system. It's not supposed to chill you out. It's meant to be your danger. Well, we're still, we're still running. We're still running on a 2 million year old brain. Right, where, right. Where, where, we where we had to fight saber, where we had to fight saber tigers all the time, and our saber tooth tigers are now our phone. As a cop, your saber tooth tiger is every person that you interact with. Yeah, yeah, and it, it reacts exactly the same way, and it gets even more ridiculous in corporate that the saber tooth tiger is your boss having talking to you with you. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, but that's we. Oh, we've you get the same thing as it, you get. This, it becomes a running joke as the cops when the boss calls you into his office. You like we used to joke about it when the boss would call us in. We'd be like, "Do I need to get the lube for the boot, or is this a good talk?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're you're looking for trouble. You're expecting trouble. Yeah. Like I've like I caught myself like I used to do that sometimes. Like oh, someone texts me. It's like why am I automatically thinking this is bad? Like, why, why is this what my nervous system is, is jumping to here? You know, and um, Peter Levine, he wrote a book called Waking the Tiger. And he asked a really interesting question because we see wild animals all the time. They get traumatized by other animals, prey, predator all the time. They don't get PTSD. Why do humans and domesticated animals get PTSD? 
And it's exactly what you said, that one upping of the trauma that you were talking about before. Oh, you, you know, your partner getting assaulted and you not being able to do anything. That's not a trauma. I went through a trauma. Like what in the hell do we need to one up each other on traumas? I mean, if we're going to one up each other, like, Hey, I did some badass shit. I got a cat out of a tree. I saved a kid today. Like, why don't we do the one upping that way instead of like my trauma sucked more than yours? Like why? And I yeah. caught myself doing that too. I'm not judging anybody that's doing that, but why in the hell do we do that? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's where, you know, it's, it's, it's funny over my journey, I've gone into a lot of like the masculine and feminine sides as well. And there's a guy who I follow who I, you know, I, I respect him quite well. He's been on the podcast a few times. Uh, Johnny, he does stuff with masculinity. He's ex-special forces, uh, spec ops. He went through a lot of stuff and he's like, he's like, he, he teaches on masculinity. And he's like, that right there is toxic. That there is like the, the preface of toxic masculinity that's the masculinity that we've been trained to do like the oh if we're raw raw and you know oh, we can you know beat things down and we, then then we're masculine and it's like no actually it's not it's actually the respecting other people the understanding them the the coming at it with peace from a place of calm or peace with you know whatever you want to call it that is actually being masculine actually holding that space for another guy and actually you know holding space for other that's masculinity but we've yeah. been taught that that's femininity. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not, it's yeah. Allowing someone to have their moment, being there to support mm -hmm. them after they've had a really tough case, after they've witnessed a shooting, after they've been a part of a shooting, after they've witnessed a suicide, after they've had to clean someone up off of the train tracks because someone jumped in front of a train, allowing that person that space to let that out. That is one of the most respectful Wait, then that is like the 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 epitome of masculinity. Like I I joke with my friends, like like because I'm most of my just full disclosure, just to pop into my personal life, just for a quick moment for just example's sake. Like I've I've never actually dated a man. I've dated guys, and the distinction is a man has respect. A yeah. man owns his shit. That is a man. I haven't dated one yet, and so when you can do that for your coworkers that's being a man mm. and that's really stepping up. And as a woman too, like allowing yourself to give that space, like even stepping into that masculine energy to give that support to someone else too. And like, you know, I imagine a lot of female officers felt like I did in corporate, like they got something to prove, yep. you know, a lot of times that just comes out that we're just trying to show that we can keep up with our peers and we don't have to do that. We're bringing a lot to the table as it is already, but giving someone that space is huge. And that is one of the most respectful things you can do is let someone feel whatever they need to feel and witness it in front of them. And not of the, Hey, did you see Lou? He was getting all fucked up earlier. No, that's undermining no. it. That's, that's being a pussy. No, you'd actually. be better off to be like, Hey, did you see Lou? He like, he, he looked like, looks like he's struggling. Like, how can we support him? Yes. Yes. That's <laughs> being a man. You know, you know, that's, that's being a man. How let, Let's go take him out. I mean, I, alcohol is not the best thing, but let's go take him out for a beer. Let's have him around for barbecue or let's, let's, let's do something. Let's not beat him up. Right. Yeah. And it's getting better. I feel like law enforcement as a whole is getting better because it's being forced on it. Like everybody's talking about it. Everybody's pushing on it. Um, how do we prevent this? Because as you know, Katie, I'm a huge person about let's prevent this. Let's not just be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. We need them. But I want to, I'd love to see a world where the ambulance is sitting there going, 
hey, I'm bored now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? That would be cool. That'd be, the, that'd, that'd be, that'd be a great cool. world, especially when it comes to trauma, PTSD, and you know, mental wellness. Um, how do we help officers prevent this? How do we help pro- officers prevent getting into there? You know, and they're before they join their first couple of years. How do we help give them the tools or set them up with a foundation so that they don't hit that rock bottom? They don't lose their job. They don't lose the the, the marriage. They don't lose their kids. They don't get the addictions. You know, they don't take their own lives. How do we help prevent all that? I think we need to start educating mental health awareness and the importance of self-care and a lot of the stuff we talked about right out of the get-go as part of the academy and not like four hours or something like have you seen um ernie and joe crisis cops no Ooh, really good documentary on hbo highly recommend it but they they started to really shift things so they were part of san antonio pd and so i i don't remember exactly what the hours are but now san antonio pd goes through a massive mental health awareness training as part of their regular training, that's automatically going to matriculate into their matriculate, whatever the word is, it's going to automatically flow over into their personal lives too, to be able to actually start to say, okay, this is what it looks like here. Because of that awareness, you're going to be able to prevent it in yourself too. And no one's going to be perfect. Like you've heard Chris saying, you've heard me say, like, I'm still a work in progress. Like I'm way calmer than I was before I found cognitive movement. I am way more balanced I'm way more productive. I have way more energy. Like, am I still fixing things from ignoring the trauma? Yeah, I am. But I'm highly functional and highly creative now because of the work I'm doing. So wherever you are in your career, so if you're 20 years into your career and you don't want to retire for a few more, or if you're five, six years in going, well, shit, they didn't teach me that. Start now. Reach out to Chris, do some of his mindset stuff. You can reach out to me, check out the wacky ass ball. It's all over YouTube. You can see it all over the place and see, (laughs) find something that works for you. Dig into Hal Elrod's Miracle Mornings. You can do it 10 minutes on your own. No one even has to know that you're doing this shit and just see what happens in your life. Stick to it for like 30 days. Just try it for 30 days. You're going to be alive for 30 days anyway. So give it a shot. Try it for 30 days and see what actually changes in your life just by starting to take care of yourself and then start to extrapolate that into longer. But it starts with being aware of what you aren't doing to help yourself now, giving your permission, self-permission to start today and really more conversations like this. This is how we're going to prevent it is making it not the shameful thing in the corner that no one wants to talk about. It's redefining what the badass looks like, what the man looks like, what the woman looks like, like what a real stand-up, respectful person looks like. And it is someone who's holding space for someone else. It is someone who is dealing with their own shit because you cannot hold space for someone else unless you have done a lot of work on yourself. I totally agree. I mean, the one thing that I wish I had, like I remember my mom being worried when I decided to join the police. She's like, you're going to become that. I mean, she knew a lot of law enforcement and that in our hometown and had lots of friends. And she was like, I'm worried you're going to become hard, cynical and lose yourself. I was like, no, 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 no. I'll be good. I'll I'll, I'll be good. I'll talk about the stuff. Yeah, no, I didn't do any of that. And I became exactly what she had manifested, if you want to put it out there. But the key that I want to talk, you know, where I want to take that too is the one thing I wish I had known that I know now or that I had implemented 
is to constantly look for ways to grow my mind. Yeah. And when I say I grow that. my mind, I mean things that feel uncomfortable as hell. If it felt yeah. it now, if it feels uncomfortable, I go, cool, I want to try it. Like, let's do it. Yeah. Like the cognitive, the ball on that. I'm like, that feels like it will be uncomfortable as hell. Cool. How do I do it? <laughs> it, is. it is. That's usually what and I hear so, in the first, like, this is a lot. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it it's is. Mentioned. Even my stuff is a, is a lot. When I went to, you know, the event and started learning a lot of stuff that I know now, I was like, and first implemented into it, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, this is a lot. But I kept doing it. I remember my wife coming to me and asking if I do a sound bath with her. And I was like, that sounds woo woo as hell cool. Let's do it. <laughs> because oh, in God. the past, my mind would go woo woo equals not you don't need to do it. That just isn't going to work. Now I'm like, cool, let's try everything. Because not everything is going to work, but I'll get something from everything. Yeah. Exactly. Repeat that again for officers that aren't fully listening right now. You won't, not everything's going to work for you, but you'll get something from everything. Yes. There's been things that I've spent thousands of dollars on. And I was like, yeah, I didn't get a whole lot out of that compared to that other one that I spent, but Hey, I did get this out of it. Or I, you know, I, I learned stuff. I learned that, wow, that per I need to kind of read people a little bit better sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a great Les Brown quote that goes exactly in line with what you're saying, that if you do easy things, you'll have a hard life. But if mm -hmm. you do hard things, your life can be easy. And that's absolutely true. When you start challenging yourself in these ways to grow your mind, to even to challenge your body, like challenging yourself to a marathon, if you're already a marathon runner, challenging yourself to a super marathon, like whatever that challenge is looking for you, stretching outside of your comfort zone, like that's. Like, I, I don't remember what the quote is, but it's something like everything you desire is just right outside your comfort zone, everything. And it's doing challenging things is one of the ways that you build resilience. It's one of the ways you build confidence in yourself. It's one of the ways that you can actually help off put some of the trauma that has been endured by your body is being able to do these things. Like that's why I went and did psychedelic ceremony. Like it sounds wacky, but that's, it's not for the faint of heart. Like you're, you're facing some deep and you are not in control. It's, it's, not it's, it's fun. Fun. It's funny. As a cop, I was always like, drugs are bad. Never going to touch drugs, anything. Now I'm like, I want to go do ayahuasca. Cause every person that I talk to is like, if you like, especially some good, like the good places in that it's like, you will learn more about yourself in the, during an ayahuasca ceremony than you can in a decade. And it was yeah. interesting. I was talking with a cop, uh, recently, <laughs> And, uh, he's kind of on the outskirts of being a police. He's like, he's more of a reserve now, but he's like, I don't want to lose my pension. So I'll wait until I hit actual, like, and I'll, I've got to wait to be able to go do an ayahuasca, but he's like, I want to do one. Cause again, that same thing I want to grow. Like, he's like, I want to learn more. I want to get more, but he's like, I'm worried. He, his biggest thing is he's because obviously it's still not. It's in that kind of gray zone, uh, especially yeah, for current law for for current law enforcement. But he's like, so he's got that thing of you know I can't do it now. But he's like, I even still want to do it. Yeah, and it's yeah. that growth mindset. If I had if 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 the, if cops started with a growth mindset, it would change everything. 
Absolutely. And I, I want to point out a distinction because there's a huge difference between cocaine, heroin, alcohol, like all the street drugs that you guys are trying to get off the streets versus yeah. ayahuasca, psilocybin, um, mescaline. Um, there's a whole bunch of other forms that those are the three main ones. The big difference is the, and I don't remember what the the class of, of medicine is called, but they make you go inward. So you mm. literally cannot, no one gets addicted to like dealing with their shit. Like it's impossible to get addicted to like, oh, let me yeah. just do ayahuasca every day because I want to get my ass kicked. Like that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. And it's also not going to, you're also not going to get your ass kicked each time. Like I, I went through a lot. I did five ceremonies over that week and I went through a lot. And the hardest one was the last night because I wasn't getting the message. And so the medicine didn't let me go for like 10 to 12 hours. And I was like, come on. Like I was kind of starting to freak out a little bit. And I'm like, I trust myself. And that, that was the message. And as soon as I started to repeat that, it ebbed. And like, you know, a couple hours later, the rooster crowed. I'm like, Jesus, that was the longest ceremony I've ever had. But I got so much out of it. But there were other times where I was laughing my ass off because I'm like, you just suddenly saw like, oh, it's, it, it can be so easy. I didn't, I think of that before. It's so easy. Like, and there was it one gets part rid that, of the, from what I've heard, it gets rid of the fog. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And so like, there's, um, there's a special on Netflix called the mind explained, and they actually show what's happening to the brain with psychedelics. And there are similar pieces to why this ball goes so deep too. So we're moving information across the corpus callosum mm. with this ball. When you're doing psychedelics, like if you look at a sober brain, the left side's talking to the left side, the right side's talking to the left side, right side. Every once in a while, something goes across. And psychedelics, all that shit's lit up. Everything's talking. And so like you, and it's very different to do it in a sacred plant ceremony with set and setting and intention than it is tripping balls with your friends. Those are two, yeah. even it's, you know, it's, well, it's like, it's, it's like the, it's like the studies around uh, microdosing LSD and things like that in the right settings. It's great. And just the normal recreational, it, it's, it doesn't do a whole lot. Totally different. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, and I talk about this all the time in my coaching and with my clients, everything's about intention. Mm-hmm. Everything, yeah. how you yeah. go into it will change the reaction that you get out of it. Just like when I'm putting my shoes on to go for a run, I'm not sitting there telling myself, I hate running, I hate running, I hate running. I'm telling myself what I want to get out of that run. Mm-hmm. I'm going for a personal best today. I'm going to I'm going to be smooth and calm and you know, and I'm, those affirmations as such as I'm going into it. Yep. And then yeah. I continue on when I start and I continue on while I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, that's what I'm getting out of it. Yeah. Now to go down different roads to to get that out of it. And you learn all the different stuff along the way. But if I'm sitting there going, I hate running, I hate running. then I normally will stop running within a few hundred meters. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Same thing with like getting out of bed, even 10 minutes early. Like, do I want to do that? No, but I want to have a productive day. I want to be in a good mood. I want to be creative. I want to be fully present for my clients when I have client sessions. I want to be able to help them get out whatever they need to get out. And I do that my best by getting my ass out of bed and focusing on me first and foremost after I feed my cats and my dog, because that's just the way it rolls. Mm. But then spending that time for myself, that's key to my success. That's key to keeping my nervous system calm. That's key to being productive. And to wrap a bow around all of this, the reason that we're 
talking about the, 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 how we start the day or how we start things is because how you start your career, how you start your first few years is the most important. How you start today, if you're already in the job for a long time, is the most important. How you start tomorrow, the next minute is the most important. If you start now, in five, 10 years, everything will be different. Uh, there's a good quote. Uh, I don't know if it's from anybody else, but Tony Robbins says it, is people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. And then like even on like a week and a year level too. Yeah. A day and a week, you know, it's the same yeah. thing. People overestimate the now and they underestimate how, what they can do over time. Yeah. Yeah. And so we continue. And so again, what you look for, you will find. So if you're selling yourself short, go, I, I can't do all that. Hey, guess what? You're going to find reasons not to do all that. Yeah. It's just, just like you find, happen. just like you find the bad guys. Yeah. We look for the bad guys. We find them. Yep. If you stopped looking for the bad guys, you'd stop finding them. Yep. They pop up from here and there, but you wouldn't find them as much. You know, when you get told this is the description of a car that we're looking for, you literally start, you start seeing that model of car and those kinds of that color and everything everywhere. And then the registration or the license plate becomes different. That's where you start to have to really hone in the detail. So um, on this, Katie, uh, to kind of start to wrap up, I always like to ask the why question, why you do what you do. Your purpose, or uh, as I call, as I hone people into your mission statement beyond the foo foo weird mission statements that we, the ones that you just create out of nothing. What would you say your why is, or your purpose, Katie? So I, I'm actually in the process right now, really focusing much more on law enforcement. Like I love being able to help people. Like the mission statement for for my company is facilitating healing for a hundred thousand people so they can be free to live a fulfilling life again, to be able to live, love and laugh. When you take that down more to the law enforcement level, there's actually a a few things. So one, I had really positive experiences with law enforcement as a kid. And then two, when I was in high school, I was hanging out with a really bad crowd. And my mom was one of those people who knew everybody in town. And one of her patients was an undercover cop and gives her a heads up. Hey, you want to get your daughter out of here because she's hanging out with people that were following. She's not doing anything wrong. I don't find out about this until you're my thirties, mind you. I just, I thought my mom was omnipotent for like 20 years. And I think that that undercover cop is why I'm still alive today. And so that had a really big impact on me. And then seeing these headlines, the the and understanding from the cops that I know that they cringe even more than we do when we look at this, when we see that bullshit racism, when we see those senseless crimes, when we see people knocking out a line because they're burned out, I understand that there is a trauma in there. And I understand that that's part of my purpose to be here and that I have endured traumas so that I understand what it's like to live with an overactive nervous system, to live with a nervous system that's on fire. I get it. I may not be in law enforcement, but I understand what it's like to live and it fucking sucks. And so if I can help someone else unwind their nervous system, the way that I've unwound mine and mine's not fully unwound yet, it's a hell of a lot more unwound than it used to be. But if I can do that for other people so that they're extending their lifelines and they're enjoying their life and they're there for their kids and they're present for their kids and they're stopping the trauma cycles and they're enjoying their life, that's 
literally everything to me. And I know that may sound like bullshit to people who don't know me, but like, that is why I am here. And I'm grateful that I've gone through the things that I've gone through because it's prepared me to be able to hold space for other people, to allow them to let it out, to not be shocked, to not be appalled, to not fill into the shame pattern, to let someone spill it all out and get it out of them so that they are free and they're liberated from that and they can actually have the life that they want to have instead of telling themselves they can't have it. Uh, I love that. If you had to phrase that into one little phrase, <laughs> taking it taking it back to like early years. So for example, uh, mine's a three tier, but my deepest level of my why is to help myself and others truly be seen. Mine is to help myself and others be free. Hmm. I love it. I love it. It's freedom. It is. It is. <laughs> freedom is a huge one. Uh, okay. Any, anything else? Oh, how do people get in touch with you, Katie? If they want to get in touch uh, with you, they want me. to take you up on cognitive. You want, they want, you know, what, if they want to just learn more about you, how do they find you? Uh, so they can find me on my website, katierigley.com, uh, K-A-T-I-E-W-R-I-G-L-E-Y. Um, I have a podcast as well. Chris is going to be on there as well called The Pain Changer. Um, I can work with people virtually and in person. So I can send this ball anywhere in the world. So I can ship one down to you. And I think we actually have a shipping place out of Australia now, Chris, if you really want to oh, try cool. it. Um, yeah, so reach out. You can check me out on my podcast. I have a group on Facebook called The Pain Changer as well. So it's just, it's all about shifting it to play on words intentionally. It's changing the game, changing the pain, whether it's physical or emotional, like getting it out of the body and allowing yourself to enjoy life again. So you can check me out through those channels. You can book a call with me. If you want to have a chit chat, you can do that through my site as well. So that would be the main place you can find me. All of my social handles are on there as well. So I'd say, yeah, go to my website and pretty much everything me is right there. Excellent. Excellent. Perfect. Uh, Kitty, any last words or final, final touches you'd like to, you know, say out to people? Whatever you're struggling with internally, you are still worthy of taking care of yourself and learning how to love yourself. No matter what you think you've done, you are still worthy of that. I love it. That's a great way to wrap up. Uh, so this is fight the burnout. Uh, where, as you can tell, we give you lots of tips and tricks and tools and strategies to prevent and overcome uh, burnout. Uh, at the end of the day, you, as Katie said, you matter. So we want to make sure that you are taken care of and looked after. If you want to either reach out to Katie or you can reach out to ourselves. Uh, our website is create from why that's W H Y create from W H Y.com. Uh, and you can contact us there. There's free resources. There's our free guidebook, which literally lays out a step-by-step -step process uh, to prevent and eliminate burnout uh, for first responders and really anybody. Uh, and if you want to email me directly, that's create from why that's create from WHY at gmail.com. Uh, and I will uh, organize a time with you if you haven't booked one through our website. Till next time, stay safe, train hard, test easy. And remember, take one thing away from this and start taking some action. Till next time, love you all.